Chapter Six of The Protector by Harold Binloss. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Protector by Harold Binloss. Chapter Six, Upon the Heights. Vane rose early next morning as he had been accustomed to do and taking a towel with him made his way across dewy meadows and between tall hedgerows to the tarn stripping where the rabbit-cropped sward met the mossy boulders he swam out joyously breasting the little ripples which splashed and sparkled beneath the breeze that had got up with the sun coming back where the water lay in shadow beneath a larchwood which as yet had not wholly lost its vivid green he disturbed the paddling moorhens and put up a mallard from a clump of swaying reeds. Then he dressed and turned homewards. Scrambling over a limestone wall tufted thick with parsley fern, he noticed Mabel stooping down over an object which lay among the heather where a rough cartload approached a wooden bridge. On joining her, he saw that it was a finely built canoe with a hole in one bilge she was examining. She looked up at him ruefully as she said, "'Very sad, isn't it? That stupid little did it with his clumsy cart.' "'I think it could be mended,' Vane replied. "'Old Beaven, he's the whalewright, said it couldn't, and Dad said I could hardly expect him to send the canoe back to Kingston. He bought it for me at an exhibition.' Then a thought seemed to strike her. Perhaps you had something to do with canoes in Canada? I used to pull one loaded with provisions up a river and carry the lot round several falls. You're fond of paddling? I love it. I used to row the fishing punt, but it's too old to be safe, and now the canoe's smashed, I can't go out. Well, said Vane, We'll walk across and see what we can find in Beaven's shop. They crossed the heath to a tiny hamlet nestling in a hollow of a limestone crag. There Vane made friends with the wheelwright, who regarded him dubiously at first, and obtained a piece of larch board from him. The grizzled north countryman watched him closely as he set a plane, which is a delicate operation and then raised no objection when Vane made use of his workbench. After that, Vane, who had sawn up the board, borrowed a few tools and copper nails, and he and Mabel went back to the canoe. On the way, she glanced at him curiously. "'I wasn't sure old Beaven would let you have the things,' she remarked. "'It isn't often he'll lend even a hammer, but he seemed to take to you.' I think it was the way you handled his plane. It's strange what little things win some people's good opinion, isn't it? Oh, don't, she exclaimed. That's how the archdeacon talks. I thought you were different. The man acquiesced in the rebuke, and after an hour's labor at the canoe, scraped the red lead he had used off his hands and sat down beside the craft. By and by he became conscious that his companion was regarding him with what seemed to be approval. "'I really think you'll do and we'll get on,' 
she informed him. If you had been the wrong kind, you would have worried about your red hands. Still, you could have rubbed them on the heather instead of on your socks. I might have thought of that, Vane agreed. But, you see, I've been accustomed to wearing old clothes. Anyway, you'll be able to launch the canoe as soon as the joints dry. There's one thing I should have told you, the girl replied. Dad would have sent the canoe away to be mended if it hadn't been so far. He's very good when things don't ruffle him, but he hasn't been fortunate lately. The lead mine takes a good deal of money. Vane admired her loyalty and refrained from taking advantage of her candor, though there were one or two questions he would have liked to ask. When he was last in England, Chisholm had been generally regarded as a man of means, though it was rumored that he was addicted to hazardous speculations. Mabel, who did not seem to mind his silence, went on, "'I heard Stevens, he's the gamekeeper, tell Beaven that Dad should have been a rabbit because he's so fond of burrowing. No doubt that meant he couldn't keep out of mines.' Vane made no comment, and to change the subject reminded her, "'Don't you think it's getting on for breakfast time?' "'It won't be for a good while yet. We don't get up early, and though Evelyn used to, it's different now. We went out on the tarn every morning, even in the rain. But I suppose that's not good for one's complexion, though bothering about such things doesn't seem to be worth while.' Aunt Julia couldn't do anything for Evelyn, though she had her in London for some time. Flora is our shining light. What did she do? Vane inquired. She married the archdeacon, and he isn't so very dried up. I've seen him smile when I talk to him. I'm not astonished at that, Mabel. His companion looked up at him demurely. My name's not Mabel, to you. I'm Mopsy to the family, but my special friends called me Mops. You're one of the few people one can be natural with, and I'm getting sick, you won't be shocked at that, of having to be the opposite. Half an hour later, Vane, who had seldom had to wait so long for it, sat down to breakfast. All he saw spoke of ease and taste and leisure. Evelyn, who sat opposite him, looked wonderfully fresh in her white dress. Mopsy was as amusing as she dared to be. But he felt drawn back to the restless world again as he glanced at his hostess and saw the wrinkles round her eyes and a hint of cleverly hidden strain in her expression. He fancied a good deal could be inferred from the fragments of information her youngest daughter had let drop. It was the latter who suggested that they should picnic upon the summit of a lofty hill, from which there was a striking view. And as this met with the approval of Mrs. Chisholm, who excused herself from accompanying them, they set out an hour later. The day was bright, with glaring sunshine, and a moderate breeze drove up wisps of ragged cloud that dappled the hills with flitting shadow. Vane carried the provisions in a fishing creel, and on leaving the head of the valley they climbed leisurely up easy slopes, 
slipping on the crisp hill grass now and then. By and by they plunged into tangled heather on a boulder ridge, which was rent by black gullies, down which at times wild torrents poured. This did not trouble either of the men, but Vane was surprised at the ease with which Evelyn threaded her way across the heath. She wore a short skirt, and he noticed the supple grace of her movements and the delicate color the wind had brought into her face. She had changed since they left the valley. She seemed to have flung off something, and her laugh had a gayer ring. But while she chatted with him, he was still conscious of a subtle reserve in her manner. Climbing still, they reached the haunts of the cloudberries and brushed through several broad patches of the snowy blossoms that opened their gleaming cups among the moss and heather. Then, turning the flank of a steep ascent, they reached the foot of a shingly scree and sat down to lunch in the warm sunshine, where the wind was cut off by the peak above. Beneath them a great rift opened up among the rocks, and far beyond the blue lake in the depths of it they caught the silver gleam of the distant sea. The creel was promptly emptied, and when Mabel afterwards took Carroll away to see if he could get up a chimney in some neighboring crags, Vane lay resting on one elbow not far from Evelyn. She was looking down the long hollow with the sunshine upon her face. "'You didn't seem to mind the climb,' he said. "'I enjoyed it. I am fond of the mountains, and I have to thank you for a day among them.' On the surface the words offered an opening for a complimentary rejoinder, but Vane was too shrewd to seize it. He had made one venture, and he surmised that a second one would not please her. "'They're almost at your door,' he said. "'One would imagine you could indulge in a scramble among them whenever it pleased you.' "'There are a good many things that look so close and still are out of reach.' Evelyn answered with a smile that somehow troubled him. Then her manner changed. "'You are content with this?' Vane gazed about him, at purple crags in shadow, glistening threads of water that fell among the rocks, and long slopes that lay steeped in softest color under the summer sky. "'Content is scarcely the right word for it,' he assured her. If it wasn't so still and serene up here, I'd be riotously happy. There are reasons for this quite apart from the scenery. For one, it's pleasant to feel that I need do nothing but what I like for the next few months. The sensation must be unusual. I wonder if, even in your case, it will last so long. Bain laughed and stretched out one of his hands. It was lean and brown, and she could see the marks of old scars on the knuckles. "'In my case,' he answered, "'it has only come once in a lifetime. And if it isn't too presumptuous, I think I've earned it.' He indicated his battered fingers. "'That's the result of holding a wet and slippery drill, but those aren't the only marks I carry about with me, though I've been more fortunate than many fine comrades.' I suppose one must get hurt now and then, said Evelyn, who
who had noticed something that pleased her in his voice as he concluded. After all, a bruise that's only skin deep doesn't trouble one long, and no doubt some scars are honorable. It's slow corrosion that's the deadliest. She broke off with a laugh, and added, Moralizing's out of place on a day like this, and they're not frequent in the North. In a way, that's their greatest charm. Vane nodded. Yes, he said, on the face of it, the North is fickle, though to those who know it, that's a misleading term. To some of us, it's always the same, and its dark grimness makes you feel the radiance of its smile. For all that, I think we're going to see a sudden change in the weather. Half of the wide circle their view would have commanded was cut off by a scree, but long wisps of leaden cloud began to stream across the crags above, intensifying, until it seemed unnatural, the glow of light and color on the rest. "'I wonder if Mopsy is leading Mr. Carroll to any mischief. They have been gone some time.' said Evelyn. She has a trick of getting herself, and other people, into difficulties. I suppose he is an old friend of yours, unless, perhaps, he's acting as your secretary. Vane's eyes twinkled. If he came in any particular capacity, it's as bear leader. You see, there are a good many things I've forgotten in the bush, and as I left this country young, there are no doubt some I never learned. And so you make Mr. Carroll your confidential adviser. How did he gain the necessary experience? That, replied Vane, is more than I can tell you, but I'm inclined to believe he has been at one of the universities. Toronto, most likely. Anyhow, on the whole, he acts as a judicious restraint. But don't you really know anything about him? Only what some years of close companionship have taught me. Evelyn looked surprised, and he spread out his hands in a humorous manner. A good many people have had to take me in that way, and they seemed willing to do so. The thing's not uncommon in the West. Why should I be more particular than they were? Just then Mabel and Carol appeared. The latter's garments were stained in places as if he had been scrambling over mossy rocks, and his pockets bulged. "'We found some sundew and two ferns I don't know, as well as all sorts of other things,' she announced. "'That's correct,' said Carol. "'I've got them. I guess they're going to fill up most of the creel.' Mabel superintended their transfer, and then addressed the others generally. "'I think we ought to go up the pike now, when we have the chance. It isn't much of a climb from here. Besides, the quickest way back to the road is across the top and down the other side.' Evelyn agreed, and they set out, following a sheep path which skirted the screes, until they left the bank of sharp stones behind and faced a steep ascent. Parts of it necessitated a breathless scramble, and the sunlight faded from the hills as they climbed, while thicker wisps of cloud drove across the ragged summit. 
they reached the ladder at length and stopped bracing themselves against a rush of chilly breeze while they looked down upon a wilderness of leaden-colored rock long trails of mist were creeping in and out among the crags and here and there masses of it gathered round the higher slopes i think the pike's grandest in this weather mabel declared look below mr carroll and you'll see the mountain is like a starfish it has prongs running out from it carroll did as she directed him and noticed three diverging ridges springing off from the shoulder of the peak their crests which were narrow led down towards the valley but their sides fell in rent and fissured crags to great black hollows you can get down two of them mabel went on the first is the nearest to the road but the third's the easiest it takes you to the haws that's the gap between it and the next hill a few big drops began to fall and evelyn cut her sister's explanation short we had better make a start at once she said they set out mabel and carroll leading and drawing farther away from the two behind and the rain began in earnest as they descended rock slope and scattered stones were slippery and vane found it difficult to keep his footing on some of their lichened surfaces he however was relieved to see that his companion seldom hesitated and they made their way downwards cautiously until near the spot where the three ridges diverged they walked into a belt of drifting mist the peak above them was suddenly blotted out and evelyn bade vane hail carol and mabel who had disappeared he sent a shout ringing through the vapor and caught a faint and unintelligible reply after which a flock of sheep fled past and dislodged a rush of sliding stones vane heard the latter rattle far down the hillside and when he called again a blast of chilly wind whirled his voice away there was a faint echo above him and then silence again it looks as if they were out of hearing and the slope ahead of us seems uncommonly steep by the way those stones went down he remarked do you think mabel has taken carol down the stanghill ridge i can't tell said evelyn it's comforting to remember that she knows it better than i do i think we ought to make for the haws there's only one place that's really steep keep up to the left a little the scale crags must be close beneath us they moved on cautiously skirting what seemed to be a pit of profound depth in which dim vapors whirled while the rain which grew thicker beat into their faces end of chapter six recording by roger Moline.